Well, I'm excited. I've been excited since Brent asked me to, to come and, and preach with you guys. So thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. This is just an encouragement. I feel like it was a gift to hear your guys' story and uh, what Jesus has done and walk around the church. And when you're talking about, I sought the Lord and he answered, I mean, you're in a room where you sought the Lord and he answered, right? Like you're, I think the leaders have prayed, we sought the Lord for prepare 2024 and he answered and we're here and it snowed and he still answered. It's amazing. So thank you for having me. Bottom of my heart, I'm learning from you guys. I look up to you guys. I'm so grateful for the story that Jesus has written through you and that what he's gonna do. So I'm excited for tonight. Hey, um, have you uh, ever wanted to do something but realized that you didn't have um, what it takes to do it? Uh, growing up, loved Kobe and Shaq. I grew up in Southern California by LA. And so the Lakers were popping. Kobe and Shaq were like the duo. I had a friend, his name is Nick Sanchez. And Nick was tall, like a big guy. Like, and so he was like my Shaq, you know? He's like, could you be my Kobe? And I was like, I'd love to be your Kobe. Be like, thank you. I thought you'd never ask. And, and so he's like, and I, you know, we're all kind of waiting for our growth spurt. Actually, I'm still waiting for our growth spurt. I haven't got it. And uh, so if you guys could just seek the Lord and maybe he would answer, I don't know. But, but it was like, okay, I'm not cut out for that. And it was like, well, there's some basketball players that, that aren't very tall. Can you jump? And I was like, no, I can't jump either. And so it's like, okay, well, can you shoot? And it looks like I'm shoot, like pushing a shot, but I don't know. I just have never figured out. So I just realized I can't be Kobe. I'm not, I'm not cut out to be a basketball player. And so uh, I get to high school and I really wanted to be a paramedic and firefighter. Are there any uh, paramedic firefighters here? Anything like that? Any emergency medicine people? I don't know. Um, well, I worked as an EMT and I quickly realized if you're gonna be in emergency medicine at all, you have to be really good with blood and like traumatic things. And I, we, I was on my first ambulance visits and they were looking at me and I'm like, I'm like they're like, you're right. I'm like, yep, 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 totally good. I think I just ate something. And it was like, I, there's so much blood involved in this thing. Like, I can't do this. So I'm like, I can't be a paramedic firefighter. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I, I like medicine. I'm, I'm, I'm good at math, science, whatever. I think I wanna, so I was like, let me be a physical therapist. So I, um, I go to college pre-med or pre-PT and uh, I realize if you're gonna be a, uh, like going into med school or anything, you have to be, you have to really like studying and reading or at least be disciplined to do it. And I was like, those are like the things I'm not naturally good at. So I backed to that, I got a communication degree. Okay, so just to say like all of that, right? But maybe, do you have a time, uh, something that you wanted to do? You're like, this would be awesome. Like I, I, I dream about this, but you just literally realize like, I truly don't have what it takes. Like, I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not social enough. I'm not, you know, whatever enough. And you've just realized and submitted to the fact that I just don't have what it takes. Well, here's kind of the danger in the Christian environment in the kingdom of God is that there might be some people in here that have just believed the lie that you don't have what it takes to make a difference in God's kingdom. You know what I mean? Like there's something in your soul that just thinks like, I'm not, I'm not cut out to make a difference in his kingdom. Like who, who am I? Like what, what do I do and what have I been through? And, what, and I'm just not blank enough to make an impact for Jesus eternally. But tonight we're gonna look at Acts chapter eight at a guy named Philip and his story. And here's what's amazing about Philip is Philip's in his story that we're gonna see shows us that if you wanna make an impact for God's kingdom, if you wanna be confident, you, you have what it takes to, to impact his kingdom. All you need is two things. You ready for them? Feet and a mouth. That's it. An ability to go somewhere and a willingness to say something. 
That's it. That's all it takes. And I'm pretty sure all of us have that. So tonight, I want us to answer and wrestle with two simple questions. That if you can answer these questions with a yes, I promise you, you have what it takes to make a difference for Jesus's kingdom, to leverage your life for not just the next however many years God gives you, but for all of eternity, you have what it takes. Two questions. Are you willing to go wherever God wants you to go? Are your feet willing to go wherever God wants you to go? Number two, is your mouth prepared to say whatever God wants you to say? If you can answer those two questions, I promise you, for all of eternity, you'll sing and rejoice in front of your Savior, knowing that you've leveraged your life well and made a difference. And so let's look at Philip's feet first. Now, um, uh, just to intro and give some context into Philip, we first meet him two chapters before, just a page before in Acts chapter six. Now, what happens is in the church, there's kind of a problem that arises and as the church was growing rapidly, they realized their widows weren't being taken care of. And so they raise up uh, seven men that we'd kind of be called known as uh, deacons. And these deacons would go and they would serve Uh, meals for the widows. And one of those men chosen of the seven is a guy named Philip. Okay, so that's him. Then he comes up again in the beginning of Acts chapter eight. And um, what happens in the beginning of Acts chapter eight is persecution comes on the church and they scatter all over the place. And by the way, that persecution was really then the sovereign will of God an answer to what Jesus told them to do in Acts 1.8, to go be his witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Well, they get spread to Samaria and the ends of the earth because of the persecution. And Philip, our boy, guess where he lands? Samaria. And revival breaks out. We don't have time to cover it, but just amazing stuff is happening. He lands there and he's basically planting the first non-Jewish church. People are believing the gospel. Uh, people are getting healed. Miracles are happening. Demons are being cast out. Like crazy stuff is happening. And who is he using? This guy named Philip. Like that's what, and in Acts 8, 8 says there was much joy in the city. Like, can you feel the buildup? Like of all the miracles that are happening of this revival breaking out and at the center of all of it, God is using this guy named Philip, a deacon that all he has on his resume is, I delivered Chick-fil-A sandwiches to Lois and Eunice and whatever, you know, like, like that's all I've done. And God is using him in a profound way in this city. And God's like, hey, Philip, I wanna send you somewhere else. Cool. Is it like a promotion? Because I, you know, what I did in Samaria was so good. Like, do I get to go to a bigger city? Do I get to go to, you know, is it a nicer platform? Like, what do you got for me, God? Well, look at Acts 8, verse 26. Acts 8, verse 26, first verse. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. A desert. A desert place. I mean, if we're in Philip's shoes, we're like, why would you take me from an orchard of gospel fruit in Samaria to a dry desert place? I don't know if you heard like a year or so ago about the Asbury uh, revival or the Asbury outpouring, you know, beautiful stuff had happened. Uh, I think they spent over two weeks in constant worship and prayer. The most prominent Christian leaders from the U.S. came. People were getting saved. I mean, miracles were happening. It was beautiful, right? I I wish that I could have gone and just seen it and and been there. And everyone's talking about this Asbury revival or outpouring and all of it. Well, there's a guy named Zach and he preached the first sermon 
to kick off the Asbury revival. So Zach has done podcasts. He's been on Christianity Today. Like he's kind of the guy. And they're like, we wanna learn from you and what'd you do and how was it? And we wanna hear this story. Now, could you imagine, let's say day 12 of this two plus week revival. God, when they're in, they're in the auditorium, everyone's praying, nonstop worship, nonstop prayer. God speaks to Zach and says, Zach, I got a new mission for you. Oh, thanks God. Where, where is it? Is it Atlanta? Is it New York City? Is it a bigger place? Like, where, where, do you, where do you want me to go? I mean, I was faithful with this. And, and God's like, okay, there's a Burger King a half mile away. And I want you to go there and I want you to flip burgers. Like, you'd be like, what are you talking about, God? Like, do you, you're, you wanna take me away from this place and all, you wanna put me in Burger King to flip burgers? That's what's happening in Acts 8, 26. Philip is seeing this revival in Samaria. God goes, I'm taking you out of it and you need to be willing. I'm gonna take you to a desert road. Now, what's interesting about this story is that, um, is that it's, it's, it's completely unknown. He, God never says why. God never says who I'm gonna send you to. God doesn't even say how long, I'm gonna, how long I'm gonna send you there. But look at this verse. This is the essence of what we're wanting. Look at the beginning of verse 27. And he rose and went. And Philip rose and went. That's the willing feet we're talking about that are willing to go wherever God wants us to go, right? So you want me to be an Uber Eats driver for widows? Absolutely, I'll put some gas in the Camry. You, you, you want me to preach the gospel to a city that's never heard it? Okay, I'll go. I've never done that before, but I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll do it. You, you want me to go and leave everything and go to a desert place and give up what's so amazing right here? Fine, fine, I'll, let me go fill up my water bottle, my, my Stanley, right? Like that's like, I'll do it. And in the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah gets a vision of God's throne room. It's beautiful, it's magnificent. It's like, it's humbling. It takes your breath away. If you read it on your own in Acts, or Isaiah chapter six. And in Isaiah six, verse eight, God asks the question, who will go for us? And Isaiah responds with these five simple words. Maybe you've heard them before. Here I am, send me. God goes in this big throat, who will go? Here I am, send me. It's the same willingness that Philip has, right? There are no other details in that verse about where you're gonna go, how long you're gonna go, who you're gonna go to, why you're the person to go. But all he says, it doesn't matter, I'm, gonna, I'm in, I'm all in. So another way to say, here I am, send me, is my answer is yes before I get all the details. My answer is yes before you even ask, God, just so you know, I'll go wherever. I'll go wherever, I promise. My feet are willing to go where you want to send me. So I have to ask, Keystone, are, are your feet like Phillips? Are, are you willing to go wherever God wants you to go, even if he doesn't explain why or for how long or for where? even if it seems like a downgrade from where you're currently at, even if you'll have to leave everything you love and all the people you love. It could be a new city, it could be a church plant, it could be overseas among the nations, it could be to a different neighborhood, it could be to a new job or something different, but God's saying, are you willing to say, here I am, send me, are your feet willing? Uh, this is a picture of Donna and Josiah. Uh, in our, uh, there are a couple in our church, the young couple, they're amazing. Donna is, uh, has her doctorate in quantitative psychology. I don't know what that means. I just know it's a doctorate, okay? Uh, and then Josiah is a successful engineer in Lincoln. Now, they, um, God broke their heart for the nations, uh, that there are billions of people in the world that don't even have a shot at knowing about Jesus. And so right now they're in our nine-month goer group, a nine-month kind of intensive that's preparing uh, them to quit their jobs 
uh, raise support and move to Thailand and uh, preach the gospel and plant churches among Thailand. And what's interesting is Donna, her parents immigrated from Taiwan. And it's just beautiful to think of the gospel, the same sea that her parents traveled across to get her to America. Now she's traveling back and going, I gotta get the gospel to people in Thailand. It's beautiful, right? Willing feet. There's another picture of a couple in our church named John and Lexi. Um, John and Lexi, he's a lawyer. She worked as a teacher. That's Junie. She's, uh, I think, almost two. And Lexi's pregnant, I think six or seven months pregnant. God also broke their heart for, internet, uh, for uh, the nations, that they're, again, people all over the world don't know Jesus, don't have a shot to know him because no one around them knows Jesus. Um, but they're also broken in the midst of that, not just to go overseas, but that Lincoln has a large population of refugees. A lot of people from these other nations that are in our backyard. Like we don't have to get a plane ticket or whatever, but like they're here. And so John and Lexi sold their house and moved into a neighborhood that no other people are moving into, but is saturated with refugees. Why? To build relationships with them. It's not a safe neighborhood. It's not a sought out neighborhood, but they've moved their house to this place to build intentional relationships. That's where God led their feet. Last picture is a couple in our church named Eric and Tish. Eric and Tish are amazing. In 2016, when we planted, they were uh, like the core. And when you plant a church, I'm sure it's the same thing. It's like, like when you find couple that, couples that have gray hair, you're like, thank God. Like, this is amazing. Thank you. Like, you're like a mom and a dad and we need you. And like, this is the best. Like, I, some of you guys are in the room. Like, thank you for being here, being a part of this. And uh, so Eric and Tish, he was an elder. And uh, she and him both helped pioneer our premarital ministry. They led a marriage conference and uh, she actually discipled my wife. Now, when we planted uh, our first church, they were the first to raise their hands and say, we'll go. And it was kind of like a both sack. It was like a really like, you see all that God's doing here. Yeah, but we'll go. And God's done incredible things through them in our church in our, in our church plant. It's been awesome. And so friends, I wanna have feet like Philip, ready to go wherever God wants me to go. Here I am, send me. I wanna have feet like Eric and Tish. I wanna have feet like John and Lexi. I wanna have feet like Donna and Josiah. I wanna have feet like so many of you and the incredible stories I've heard that just say, God, if you tell me to go, I promise you I'll go. I don't, I don't have rights over my life. When I bow to you as you're my king, you're my Lord, you're, you, have the, you have it all. You have the steering wheel of my life and I'll go wherever you want me to go. What's interesting though, is if you look through the story, God's uh, uh, calling of Philip and his feet, they weren't just going to a place, they were going to a person, right? So look at Acts 27, uh, 28, 29. This is just continuing the story. And so Philip rose and went, right? There's the willingness. And, uh, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seating in, his, seating in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran over to him and heard him reading Isaiah and the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Now, friends, sometimes... The difficulty isn't where God wants us to go, but who he wants us to go to, okay? It's not just like, oh, I have to go there. It's like, oh, wait, who's gonna be there when I go? And so uh, just to make sure we're clear on who this guy is, that God leads, that the spirit leads Philip to, um, he is uh, from Ethiopia, a country in Africa. He's of a different race, from a different culture, holding a totally different worldview. It says he's the court official of... um, of the queen of Ethiopia. And it says he's in charge of all her treasure. So he's her CFO. uh, And he's literally running the entire finances of a whole country. 
Like that's what he's doing. And uh, so that means he's powerful, he's wealthy, he's respected, he's uh, well-educated, all of that. But the most repeated trait of this guy and probably the way we articulate who he is, is that he's a eunuch. That's the most repeated phrase. Now, that means that it's someone who's been sexually altered as to not be able to have kids. Now, sometimes this was done tragically by force, right? That's what happened. But a lot of times in this culture, people would do it by their own choice and volition in order for career advancement. The belief and the thought was, if I alter myself in this way, you don't have to work. Like I can wholly devote myself to work. I'm never gonna be distracted by a family or kids or whatever. Like I can go all in 24 seven. I'm never gonna be distracted. And so it was often a move for career advancement and that's his job. So hold on, let's just track together. Make sure we're all on the same page. What do a Middle Eastern Jewish follower of Jesus deacon have to do with a African, sexually altered, wealthy, powerful CFO? Nothing, you know, it's like, what, what, what could God possibly do by, be doing by bringing Philip to him? Like, is there not someone better that maybe could reach him? But we gotta understand that there are two objective truths about every person that's ever lived, two objective truths. Number one is that they are made in the image of God. Every person that's ever been created by God is made in the image of him, the Imago Dei. Uh, they bear his image. In Genesis 1, verse 26, God is creating man and he says this, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now I've got three kids, Gracie, Haddon, and Eden, and uh, they're all at home, they're in Lincoln, they're having a snow today, they're, they're loving it, right? The kids like love snow, adults hate snow. We're kinda like, oh, I gotta drive, or it's gonna be this whole thing, so they're there. Now, uh, my daughter, Eden, my youngest, she's three, looks just like me, I think. She's got brown eyes, dimples, and she's got my eyebrows, which she's gonna have to deal with in high school, and she's also got my thighs. And so anyways, like that's my daughter, right? And, uh, but my kids don't only just look like me, they also act like me. My daughter, Gracie, always has an idea. It's always like, oh, we should do this or we should play this game or we're like doing something. And she's like always thinking about how it could be better or different. And we're like, Grace, let's just, and I'm like, oh, that's me. Like, I love ideas. I love galvanizing people to do something. I'm like, ah, my son Haddon is, um, one, he's just a total chatterbox. He just never stops talking. Like we're driving on a road trip and he's just talking and talking and talking. And my wife and I aren't even listening. It's the whole thing. And he's like, every time we get in the vehicle to drive him to school, he's like, dad, can we call somebody? I'm like, I don't know, buddy. Can we just listen to music? No, I want to call somebody. Or, or every, every day, I promise. He's like, who's coming over for dinner? I'm like, we're just having a family dinner. Like no one's coming over, you know? But he's like me. I love being around people, you know? So my kids aren't just, don't just look like me, they're like me. And this is what it means to bear the Imago Dei. That every person, Literally, every person bears some resemblance to the Father, possesses some unique aspect and trait of who he is, which by the way, should make Christians love being around people who are different from us because they're showing us unique aspects that we don't see in ourselves, right? And since every person is made in the image of God, that means that every person bears the intrinsic value from God. Like we don't get to say you're valuable, you're not, you're less, whatever. And we're all created fearfully and wonderfully by him. And so that doesn't matter the skin color, sexual orientation, economic status, political leaning, um, uh, religious beliefs, struggles, all of it. There isn't a person in history that doesn't bear the likeness of God on them. It doesn't mean we don't call sin, sin, by the way. It doesn't mean we just approve of everything. But what it does mean is that we should see through those differences, through even their sin, 
through the unique exteriors and our disagreements and see that they are made and they possess his likeness and his image on them, right? And Philip does this beautifully. In verse 30, it says that Philip ran to him. He runs to the guy that doesn't have anything in common with him and he just does it, right? He engages the man universally different from him. Philip knew that he bore the Imago Dei. Number two, the second thing that's objectively true, every human that's ever lived is that they need Jesus. They need Jesus, right? Just like we do. In verse 27, this is what's so unique about this story. If you, I don't know if you caught this. It says in verse 27, at the very end, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship. And was, listen, why would a guy who has seemingly everything, he's got wealth, he's got status, he's got a great job, he's got security, leadership, power, all that. Why would he, with all that stuff, leave and travel this whole way to come and worship God or discover who this God is? The reason is because he has everything except Jesus, which means he has nothing, Right? Church, don't be fooled by external appearances. It's so easy to do it. We all need Jesus desperately. It doesn't matter how full we are with the world, we are empty and unsatisfied without knowing him. And so this means that your neighbors with the manicured lawns and the HGTV house, if they don't know Jesus, they need him. Your coworkers who seem to have all the success building their way, a great future, if they don't know Jesus, they need him. Your friends who are always going on the best vacations, if they don't know Jesus, they need him. The people you know that are always engaging and always happy, if they don't know Jesus, they need him. The people you follow on social media, celebrities, and you envy their life, if they don't know Jesus, they need him. Amen? Like all of us need him. And so we've all got that in common that we can be eating at the buffet of the world and still starving. We can be drinking of the fountain of this world and totally dehydrated in parts because the only one who satisfies is Jesus. We've got to see people like Philip saw the eunuch. You're so different, but I know that you bear the image of God and I know that you need Jesus. Therefore, I'll go to you. Therefore, we'll have relationships. So I have to just ask you, I know yesterday you talk, Vance talked about prayer and this essence and even this next couple days praying together is that uh, are you listening to where he wants you to go? Because he might be saying something or leading somewhere, but if we don't actually tune our ear to the Father in prayer and just not say anything, but just ask, God, what do, you, what do you want? He might be calling you to go somewhere. Sometimes, by the way, what I've found in my life, let's just be honest, I'm like, I don't think I wanna go there because I'm afraid if he's gonna tell me to go somewhere. So I'm just gonna play it safe. I'm not gonna actually engage in prayer and ask him because I don't wanna go if he does tell me to go. And not only are you listening to where he wants you to go, but are you looking for who he wants you to meet? When you go to the grocery store, when, you, when you're pulling into your driveway, when you go to work, are you listening uh, for where he wants you to go and looking for who he wants you to meet? So friends, your feet aren't just going to a place, they're going to a people. And if you're willing to go wherever, for whoever, you have to be prepared to say whatever God wants you to say. So now let's look at his mouth. Now, um, uh, I got married in 2015 to my wife, Kristen. She's uh, incredible. And I knew that uh, when she, she told me a story about when, when she was young, she really wanted a puppy. And so her parents were like, okay, we've got a cat. When the cat dies, we'll buy the puppy. 
I don't know if you know where this is going. The cat didn't die till my wife was 22, okay? So they're like, so parents in the room, if you're like, hey, I know kids, you, you, you want a dog, just say, get a cat, say when the cat dies, we'll get a dog. It just, and you'll be good. And so I decided in 2015 to be the husband of the year, literally get a trophy and everything put in my office. And I got my wife a puppy, okay? Uh, it's a uh, Jack Russell Terrier. So kind of a smaller, cute dog. And, um, and I got him on like super discount or I got her super discount from a farmer in this like northern, like this like small town north of Lincoln. And so I go there, I pick her out. I'm really excited. I can't wait to go see Kristen. But he tells me, don't take her to the vet, which a little bit of a red flag. I don't know. I don't know. But okay. I'm like, why? He's like, you don't have to pay the fees. Like you can give her the shots yourself. Okay, that's interesting. What do I do? He said, go to Tractor Supply. And guys, I'm from Southern California. It's not like I've like given animals shots before, okay? <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And he's like, you gotta find this medicine. This I'm jotting it down on my phone. Like, okay, I think I'm tracking with you. And he's like, buy this thing. It's like five bucks. You can save a hundred bucks. I'm like, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Okay, I'm, I'm an intern at City Light in Omaha doing lead and worship, you know? And so I'm like, this is gonna be great. So I, uh, I, I, I get home. I tell my wife, my wife's so stoked about her. We're really excited. She's so cute, you know? And a week or two later, it's like, we gotta give her her shot because she's like, 12 weeks old, you know? And so um, she's like, okay, great, let's do it. So I, we watch a YouTube video together. And there, obviously, you know what I mean? We don't call anybody, just like watch a YouTube video. And it's a pit bull, okay? Like a large pit bull. And the guy, and I should have known, but anyways, the guy, I didn't look up puppy shots. I just looked up like dog shots. And he grabbed the back of its neck, like right here. And you know, it's pretty loose on a dog and he pulls it out and he just puts the needle in and he just gives the shot. And I was like, wow, it didn't whimper. It didn't move. It didn't even blink its eyes. It just like sat there. And I thought, whoa, like, he's like, this is not a sensitive area for them. And whatever, you know, whatever. I'm like, this is great. So I, I was like, Kristen, are you, go with, are you okay with this? Like, are we on the same page? She's like, yeah. I'm like, do you want me to hold? And do you want to shoot? Or she's like, no, I'm going to hold. You're going to shoot. I was like, okay, sounds good. So she's holding our little baby new puppy, my wife's dream, right? And I grabbed the back of her skin and I put the needle in. And right as I put the needle in, she starts screaming. The dog starts screaming like a human scream, like a, like a, whoa, I've never heard a dog make that noise. And just, and just like, like going like, and Kristen's like, babe, like we're first year marriage. Like, this is not good. You know? And she's like, oh, put the, and I, I don't know how quick to push the medicine in, you know what I mean? I'm like, I gotta go slow. And she's like, no, hurry. Well, then Ellie drops out of her arms because she was moving and she runs away, catch this, with a needle stuck in her neck. <laughs> Please don't call PETA. I don't wanna go to prison. I don't wanna find, this is a place of the gospel. I need, I've repented. I gotta talk to the father about it. Like it was the whole thing. And we just, we watched her run away and we're like, oh no. Like not only did I go through this traumatic experience, but now I've literally got to figure out how to take her to a vet because I can't do it. It was bad. Uh, but, here, but here's the idea, um, is that I had what she needed, but I didn't know how to give it to her, okay? Like, just, just wrap your head around that. I had what she needed, but I didn't know how to give it to her. And I don't think there's anything worse. And so look back at the text with me, verse 30 through 34, and, and think about this. So, so Philip, he ran to him, embracing this guy that's so different than him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from earth. 
And the eunuch said to Philip, just catch this, internalize this question. About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And so lean in, imagine if you're Philip in this very moment and you don't know what to say. I mean, imagine if you're Philip and someone's asking, can you guide me? I'm reading this and I don't know what it means or who it's talking about. Could you imagine being like, I can't help. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to give you what you want or what you need. Friends, the great tragedy of Christianity is having what people need but not knowing how to give it to them. But look what Philip does. Verse 35. And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So friends, here, here, here's what I wanna do. I'm sure so many of you know how to share the gospel, but I just wanna make sure we're all on the same page on how Philip gave the good news to this eunuch so that we walk out of here without an excuse to share the gospel. Like, I want all of us to leave tonight. I hope there's not a single person in this place that leaves without the ability to do what Philip did for this person, right? And so first, if you look in the verse 35, it says that he opened his mouth. That's step one. If you want to share the good news, friends, you've got to open your mouth. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words, right? Well, here's the problem with that. Uh, tomorrow, uh, I'm gonna, I'm staying the night tonight in uh, Ankeny, I'm excited. You guys, are, it's amazing here. And I'm gonna drive uh, back to Lincoln. Now, I'm sure tomorrow morning, it's gonna be snowy and crazy. Now, can you imagine if as I'm driving, I see a minivan, it's a family and they kind of went into the ditch. So I pull over I, with my truck. I'm like, hey, can I help? They're like, yeah. So we rope something in, I pull them out, I reverse them. And they're like, thank you so much. And I'm like, God bless. And on the drive, they roll up the window, whatever, I get back in my truck. Could you imagine on the drive, they're sitting there, they're driving, they're going, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. I, I can't be good enough for God. Like, I just, I can't believe that. Like, like I, I, I can't climb up the moral mountain to him, but he came down for me. And the husband's like, yes, I agree. And did you know that Jesus, I think just from that whole interaction, Jesus came down and he lived the perfect life that we should have lived, earning our righteousness on our behalf, although that we couldn't be righteous. And then in his death on the cross, he actually gave us his righteousness so that if we just trust in him, like just faith alone, not works, whatever, like we can have eternal life and be saved by him. And then the father adopts us into his family and we can spend eternity with Jesus. This is amazing. Do you think pulling someone out of the snow is gonna convince them of that? They're never gonna deduce that from me pulling them out of the snow. No, but we operate that, but here's why. It's because it's so much easier to open a door for someone to get into a building than to open your mouth and enter into a spiritual conversation. It's so much easier for us to open up our wallets and help someone financially than to open up our mouths and help someone spiritually, right? Like, and, and I'm, let me just say this, like, I hope we display the gospel with good works. I know you do. You're a church that loves the city. I hope we do all those things. We're generous, we're helpful, all that. But all of those moments where we help, we pull out of the snow, we shovel someone's lawn like, or uh, driveway, what, all those moments are opportunities to open your mouth. They're open doors, right? So no words, no gospel. We have to be clear. If you wanna share the good news, first thing is you gotta open your mouth. 
And then verse 35 says that Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures. Open your mouth, beginning with the scriptures. That's the second one is if you, you gotta open your mouth and then you gotta open up your Bible, right? Like this is it. I think that we have severely underplayed the power of the Bible. And we've severely uh, underplayed um, or overplayed the power of our communication. It's like, how do I share good analogies? How do I share witty stories? How do I connect and all that? It's like, no, 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 like the power is here. Listen, friends, what is Philip literally going to say that's gonna break the communication barrier of him and the eunuch? Nothing, nothing. There's no absolute way. But you know what speaks to every tribe, tongue, and nation? The Bible. You know what pierces the hardest hearts? The Bible. You know what convinces rule followers that they're actually not good enough, but God still loves them? the Bible, right? Like we've got to let God speak for himself. We've got to let the word do the work. Charles Spurgeon had this famous analogy that was like, hey, when you open the Bible, it's like opening a lion's cage. Like just let, he can handle himself, he can do it. And so uh, I know you as a church love the Bible. Like we center our hearts around it, but I just have to ask that question. Are you uh, um, uh, eating, like consuming this? Even as you fast and stuff like that, these are these moments where Jesus goes, man must not live on bread alone. We gotta live on the word, like the real food, all those moments where your stomach rumbles. You're like, I gotta get a meal and I can't have Chick-fil-A tomorrow or tomorrow, whatever, but I'm gonna have this and this is gonna be so much better. So just the plea to say, man, Philip was so immersed, immersed in this that when he had a question, he just opened up the lion's cage. I'll tell you all about Jesus through the Bible, right? And so um, the verse that the eunuch was reading was Isaiah 53, the, the one in this the, that says the leap, uh, like a sheep he was led to slaughter. And the eunuch asks a great question. He says, are these verses talking about him or someone else? And friends, that's what we call a gospel layup. It's like, actually it is talking about someone else, right? And I can just picture him. Friends, he's, he's got this scroll of Isaiah and I can picture Philip just being like, look right here. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. Jesus, the good shepherd, became a sheep and was slaughtered for you and for me. And then it goes like a lamb before its shears is silent. He goes, the, Jesus is the lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb that would take the sins away. And then he goes, look at verse 33, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Jesus was the ultimate epitome of justice and innocence and righteousness. And justice was denied because he took on our injustice and our sin onto himself. And then it says, who can describe this generation for his life is taken away. Jesus Jesus' life is taken away so that he could grant us life eternally. I can just picture him and go and look, look right there in, in Isaiah 53, verse five. It says that by his wounds, we are healed, that he was pierced for our transgressions. Like the gospel is just all right there. It's beautiful. And Philip's pointed it all out and the spirit opens up the eunuch's eyes to see Jesus, to see God the way he describes himself through his word. And he says, the reason you're still searching is because only God satisfies He's the only one. So friends, open our mouths. We gotta open our Bibles. And verse 35 says, Philip, Philip told him about the good news of Jesus. Now, the last time we hear about Philip is in Acts chapter 21. And his name is changed. He's got a nickname now and it's Philip the Evangelist. That's literally what his name is. That's referred to in Acts 21. Now an evangel or evangelization or evangelism is just sharing uh, what you love. That's in a very simple way. It's just someone who shares the good news and it could be the good news about anything. And so 2 Timothy 4 verse five says to do the work of an evangelist. So that's on everybody. Are there evangelists? 
unique giftings in the church, like people who are just prone towards it? Of course, that's awesome. But every single person is called to do the work of an evangelist, to share the good news. That's our call. And luckily, don't get too scared about that. Luckily, we're all naturally evangelists. Did you know that? That we're all naturally evangelists? There isn't a person I've ever met, there isn't a person in this room that doesn't love talking about what you love. There's not. I mean, most of my conversations are people telling me about the best place to eat or a book that changed their lives or a show that they're loving and binging or a diet that's really been working for them and helped them shed a couple LBs in the new year, right? Like we talk about the workout routine that's been impactful for us, a new song that just came out or a new financial investment opportunity. We're constantly evangelizing. We're talking about what we love and why we love it and why the people we're talking to should love it too. That is evangelism. And yet while that's true in almost every other area of our lives, when it comes to the best news, the good news of Jesus, we're often shy. It's weird, isn't it? You think about it, all the things you tell people about, all the good news that we possess and want to tell people and let them know, it feels like when it comes to Jesus, we're kind of like, I don't know. But, but I want us to engage this idea of gospel fluency. Jeff Vanderstil wrote a book about this. It's beautiful, but it's this idea of like, what would it be like if we talked about Jesus as fluently, as organically, as naturally, as commonly as we did the sports that we love, the restaurants we love, the music that we love, all those things. Like I'm telling you, man, you wanna see revival in Ankeny, you wanna flip it upside down, talk about the gospel the way you talk about everything else you love. Become fluent in the gospel. You wanna spark a wildfire for the gospel to spread through Iowa and the rest of the nation. Open your mouth often, open your Bibles sincerely and talk about the good news of Jesus. In the Salt Network, uh, we pray a prayer, one of the things that ties all of us together uh, at 10.02 every day, my alarm's set. And, um, and it's based on Luke 10.2, if you guys are familiar with it. And it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. So just think about this. Harvest is plentiful, there's so much opportunity, but the labors are few. Do you know what that means? It means that the ears are open, but the mouths are shut. Luke 10.2 means that the hearts are soft, but the Christians are silent. Luke 10.2 means the fruit of the gospel is ripe, but it's rotting because no one's picking it. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And do you know Church, that God has strategically placed you in the neighborhood you live in, the company you work for, the grocery store you shop at, the place that you work out, the family you're a part of, like in all those places that you already are, where God's already taken you. Think about all those people, your neighbors, the coworkers, boss, your friends, your barista, your family with wide open ears, but your mouth is shut. It's tragic, isn't it? Like what if you're already where God wants to move you? but you just literally haven't realized that your feet are on missional ground? What if you're already where God wants you to be, you're in front of who he wants you to, 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 who he wants to rescue, but you don't realize they're a future follower of Jesus? What if you already know how to share the gospel? You have all this stuff, you just haven't opened up your mouth yet. Like that's what he's inviting you into. Years ago, my friend Anthony, who is on staff with us, he pioneered our global missions, and uh, Anthony, um, uh, he told me to be missional, you don't have to be additional, you just have to be intentional. And it was this idea that like, it was so profound. I wanna be missional. It doesn't mean you need to add a bunch of stuff to your calendar. You just gotta be intentional with what's already on your calendar. 
places you go to have those open eyes. So who are you already interacting with every day? And who can you open your mouth to? Maybe God has brought you to your feet to the place that he wants you to go already. Like you're already there. Now in verse 38, it's beautiful to kind of culminate the story, the end of it. Verse 38 says, and he commanded the chariot to stop because the eunuch asked to get baptized and they both went down in the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So this eunuch, this Ethiopian man gets saved by Jesus. It's awesome. And, um, and, and he goes. Now, uh, church historians say this Ethiopian eunuch went back to Ethiopia and because of his influence and testimony becomes the epicenter of Christianity in Africa. Africa. Can you imagine that? Like before this moment where the spirit had led his willing feet, open mouth to this moment, there has never been an Ethiopian who has heard the good news of Jesus, but because his feet were willing and mouth was prepared, Ethiopia gets flipped upside down. And I'm just picturing Philip getting in heaven and there's an Ethiopian waiting to greet him there. And he's like, boom, bear hug. Thank you, brother. Like you share the gospel with this man. Do you remember on the desert road? Yeah, I, w- I was like wondering why God would lead me there. And then he went back and this whole nation got changed. How did it happen? It wasn't fancy. It wasn't Philip's idea. It wasn't profound. It wasn't this great analogy. It was just willing feet and a prepared mouth. He dropped everything and said, God, I'll take you up on your invitation. And so, I don't even think we can imagine, friends, what God would do with uh, willing feet and prepared mouth. But I, I wanna end by saying this. We are spurred on, and I hope you're spurred on by Philip's feet. I hope you're spurred on by Acts 8. That's amazing. But while we're spurred on by his feet and mouth, we're saved by Jesus's feet and mouth, by what they did. I mean, Jesus had always been walking to the cross, not just up the hill on Calvary. Like he'd always been walking there toward the cross when he was born and didn't know how to walk. He'd been walking toward the cross for you and I when Mary was teaching him through his first couple steps, right? Scholars believe Jesus walked 21,000 miles and you need to know each step was toward the cross for you joyfully. And his mouth said to the adulteress, I don't condemn you. His mouth said to the weary, come to me and I'll give you rest. His mouth said to the people nailing him to the cross, father, forgive them. His mouth said on the cross, it is finished. And his mouth says eternally, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I died. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys to Hades. We say, here I am, send me because Jesus said, here I am, send me. Amen. Like that's the whole thing. Like we move our feet wherever and say whatever, because that's what Jesus did for us. You have what it takes to make a difference in eternity for all of eternity. Do you know that? Philip did. Now, just, just right before this scroll, it would have been up in Isaiah 52, verse seven, just minutes before this moment happened, he would have read a verse that said, how beautiful are the feet of those who know, who, preach, who bring the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And then guess what? A couple minutes later, what happens? A feet shows up, feet show up to his chariot. He's going, what the heck? And he goes, come on up. And that's what God is doing. So I want you to know, church, you have beautiful feet. That that would be our verse that we'd rally around. How beautiful are the feet of those who uh, bring the good news. So I wanna pray for you. Um, So if you guys wanna uh, pray to bow your heads, but here's the thing for tonight. When you bow your heads to pray, I I don't want you to close your eyes. I want you to look at your feet. I want you to look at your feet in this moment. So don't, don't close your eyes, look down. And I wanna pray and I want you to look at these and just with an earnest prayer in your heart, God, take them wherever you want. Do whatever you want. And so let me pray. Jesus, as we look at our feet, I think about Isaiah 52, verse seven. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Would you make our feet beautiful? Would they, would they bring good news? 
Would they, would they go wherever you want them to go? Not only just wherever, but to whoever. God, would you bring us to people that don't make any sense, that we don't have anything in common with, but we know that they're made in the image of God and they need Jesus. And so God, would you make these feet beautiful? Would you make them willing? Would you make them available? Would you help these feet take the next best step this year? To say, God, wherever you want me to go, I'm just taking the next best step. Would you, make our, would you prepare our mouths to share your good news and your gospel, to tell everyone we know about the thing that we love most, the best news in the world, that Jesus, you came and you love us. God, would you do that? We love you. In your name.